I recognize this. Well, why don't you guys give a nice little warm welcome to Camille, the greatest wife, maybe. Yeah. Awesome. Get, buckle up is all I got to say right now. Hello. So, I'm nine months pregnant. My name is Camille. Yes, it's been a very difficult accomplishment, no. And uh, Eric and I actually went to the doctor today, which it's always hilarious going with Eric, even though we've been so many times, because he always feels awkward in the doctor's office. Um, and the baby is, according to the doctor today, she's already in the right position. So for those of you that like closed your eyes during health class in high school when they made you watch that birthing video, that means she's dangling upside down right now. Um, <laughs> And I also intentionally like, went through my closet, which is very limited at this point, um, and to find the biggest like, maternity shirt I own because what's been happening is she's getting so tight in there that like, my whole abdomen moves when she moves. And it really reminds me, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Alien, <laughs> but when Eric and I were dating, his family likes to watch these horrible old movies. And we were dating, of course, then I'm like, trying to like impress his family that I love doing what they love to do, even though I, you know, didn't love all of it. And so they're like, we're going to watch this movie called Alien. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, that sounds horrible. They're like, oh, yay, you know. And uh, so anyways, I'm not saying she's an alien, but it does look like alien sometimes. So I try to do a loose shirt not to distract you guys. But so I'm really excited to be up here tonight. Last time I spoke was this summer on identity. And I promised a few of you that I was not going to talk about giant genitalia this time or give detailed anatomical descriptions of inappropriate things, partly because I think it scared some people and also because I've heard from some people that they can't even listen to the audio like in a public place because people look at them really strange. So. I'm gonna really try to censor myself, um, which is hard. But you know, one of the joys of loving Jesus and just living with his Holy Spirit inside of you is that he does give you total freedom to be who he created you to be. And I know that part of the person he created me to be was a person that has trouble censoring themselves. But he also, he also gives us the fruits of the Spirit. And if we remember, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So I'm speaking that over myself tonight, that I will have some self-control. I guess Eric will believe it when he hears it, but I will be good. Um, so every time I talk to you guys, to be honest, I'm really talking to you from a place that I have been or currently am. And something that either I've struggled with or something that I'm still learning about because I really do believe and I do know that when the Holy Spirit gives you breakthrough in an area of your life, he then gives you the authority, authority to help others achieve breakthrough in the same area. And so because a lot of my breakthrough has been from the Holy Spirit working with me through my therapist, who I now call my life coach, because you don't sound as mentally crazy if you say it that way. Because <laughs> I've learned, telling people I've been in therapy for like years, people look at me strange, so I'm like, my life coach. Um, I have spent a lot of money getting breakthrough, and I feel like sharing it with you guys will also save you some money. So I kind of calling it like breakthrough in a time of recession, but just so you guys appreciate this. Uh, I'm just teasing. But anyways, tonight I'm going to talk about emotions. And emotions are so powerful. I mean, they can take us from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And they can cause tremendous destruction in somebody's life. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news and see how somebody maybe murdered somebody else. And later on they go, I was just feeling such rage. I couldn't help myself. You know, or people that have committed suicide or have done really tragic things. It's from these places where they feel these deep, low emotions. Emotions can also take us to places of tremendous apathy. Because you know, feeling nothing 
is still an emotion. And so how many people do you know that have lived in an ap apathetic place where nothing affects them one way or the other? And then emotions can take us to places of tremendous joy where we just feel like we're on the mountaintop and life could not be any better. They can be scary, they can be addicting. I know I'm kind of married to a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. And it can get very addicting, this feeling of like these adrenaline rushes. And then these people that take it to these unhealthy places where they need their next fix. They need their next adrenaline high in order to feel good about themselves. Well, I happen to have a lot of experience in the emotional area. Not only am I a person that is very blessed to feel very strong emotions frequently, but as people in my life could probably attest, I have not struggled with apathy very much. Um, I also am very blessed to have a career where I get to revel in the emotional highs and lows of the general public. And can I just tell you, and those of you out there that work in an environment where you interact with the general public, you will understand. It is very different than working in a closed environment. And the general public, or our society in whole, it opens your eyes to the emotional volatility in which people live, how unstable so many people are. And as most of you know from the trauma of my last talk, I am a horse veterinarian. That's where all my larger-than-life stories come from. <laughs> Hold it in. I haven't said any words yet. But here's the deal. I actually don't deal with horses as much as I deal with their owners. Um, my classic stereotypical client in my practice that I just happen to cultivate is the middle-aged, emotionally volatile and unstable woman. That is like my classic client. And what's really fun about these stereotypical clients I have is that they often project their emotions onto their animal. I don't know if any of you have like a grandma that has a little dog or a little cat and she knows with 100% certainty how little Fluffy feels. And she's the expert on Fluffy. I get that all the time with these horses. So I have these clients that not only do I get to assess the physical needs of their animals, but I also get to assess, be counselor and therapist to them and their horse. And here's a piece of trivia that you guys might not know about horses, is that horses have, everything's big on them, right? Yes, it's big. Some things are really big. But one thing that's big is their head, the horse's head. Horses have very big heads. Horses have big heads, and horses have very small brains. And actually, the average full-size horse has the brain the size of a large walnut. I'm not kidding you. Averaging about three inches in diameter. This is smaller than the brain of a cat. Which to Eric, explains a lot. Because when he's had to come help me on calls, like he now is like, well of course, they're, they have like these walnut-sized brains and that's why this is like the most horrible profession in the world. I can't believe you even want to do this because these animals want to run you over all the time. And it's true. These huge thousand pound animals have brains the size of a walnut. So I can promise you that as much as my client tries to convince me, their horses probably aren't thinking and feeling on very deep cognitive levels. <laughs> Generally, horses, they're prey animals, they're herd animals, and they pretty much react in one of two ways, fight or flight. Um, but, again, in my practice, I have horses that don't fit in that category. In fact, I must have genius horses in my practice because I have horses that write me emails. I'm not joking. I have this one horse, he writes me emails on a regular basis, and in his emails, and sometimes he writes them to me, and sometimes he writes them to my horse, who's his friend. My horse never responds, because she does not have a large brain. And so, my horse does not communicate, but he doesn't mind the one-sided communication. So her horse writes to me, he tells me what he's thinking, what he's feeling. He, he's apologized to me before for treating me poorly. He tells me how much he loves me all the time. And he goes into regular detail about his thoughts and emotions. 
this is just part of my daily, and it's, you know, it's a colorful part of life, but it also goes, this is not like, I didn't take a class in this, <laughs> so I don't really know how to respond. But on a heavier note, it really saddens me more to see not the emotional instability of these horses, but to really see what's being confessed by the owners. And for example, I have one client that just recently um, slipped into a really deep depression over her horse's condition. Her horse had a really inflamed eye. And she slipped into this deep depression where she was having panic attacks insomnia, she couldn't go to work. It completely overwhelmed her life and she could not function until her horse got better. And I was constantly getting this from her and she was, I don't know what's wrong with me, but she was just overwhelmed by the emotion of depression over her horse not feeling well. I've had clients tell me that if their horse doesn't get better, they really can't find a reason to live. Um, I've had, and it happens all the time where the, um, these deep, really dark emotions that my clients will feel will completely cannibalize their life. And it used to really freak me out because I felt like then it, the pressure was on me if I don't fix the animal, but it just was so telling of where so many people in our society live, where they're completely ruled by their emotions. And that's the thing with emotions, that they're so powerful and so many people's lives are dictated by the way they feel and that's how they define what they're doing. And I was thinking about this because the tricky thing is that we actually are created to be emotional beings. Emotions in themselves are totally normal. We're meant to feel deeply. And what I love looking at the scripture is that Jesus, he felt really strong emotions. And I think we sometimes forget that Jesus is fully human in addition to be feeling God, being fully God. And he is completely an emotional being. And in the gospels, we can read about how Jesus experienced a huge range of emotions. And I think sometimes we get the false view of God that he's this drone that's always happy. I know for me, I went to, I grew up in a Baptist church where we had felt boards. I don't know if anybody remembers felt boards. But based on the felt boards we had, or even if you didn't go to church, I think most of the time when you see an image of Jesus, what's he doing? He's either kind of looking dead on a cross, right? Or he's smiling and holding a sheep or a child. That's pretty much the only way I ever saw Jesus. And I think we get this false thing about God that he's always happy and always feels happy. And this is the first lie I just want to bring up that I think is really common for us to believe. I think we often believe that if we are a mature Christian, if we're a true Christian, we won't feel any negative emotions. That real Christians are always happy. That if you're a real, true Christian, you're going to always feel happy. That is just one of the many ways that our, the enemy loves to lie to us. Because here's the truth. Jesus was not a happy, happy person all the time. He felt anger, he felt annoyance, he felt sorrow, he felt distress, he felt anger, he felt sadness, he felt surprise, he felt joy. He felt all those things. We can find evidence for all of them in the word. But what's the other thing we know about Jesus? He's perfect. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the feelings in themselves are not sin. It's not a sin to feel angry. It's not a sin to feel sad. It's not a sin to not feel happy because Jesus experienced all those feelings and he's perfect. Jesus also didn't feel the need to act outwardly strong or to hide how he felt. He was completely transparent with the way he felt. How many of you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. It's John eleven thirty five. We all have a verse memorized now, if you didn't know that before. Jesus wept. And the context of that is that Mary and Martha came and found Jesus and their brother Lazarus had died. And they're taking Jesus to Lazarus's body. And Jesus sees Mary's grief and he starts crying. And that's where it says Jesus wept. And it's a short verse, but it's really powerful because it shows us Jesus feeling deep emotions. He could have been like, let's be happy because we know it's going to turn out good in the end. No, he was still sad. And I just felt a lot of freedom realizing that about God because I think that's something that I have believed myself, that if I don't feel happy 
Or if I feel angry, that there must be something wrong with me, or maybe I'm not a really great Christian. So then I want to look at is how did Jesus handle negative emotions? And what I mean by negative emotions, I mean emotions that don't feel good. So agony, sorrow, distress. Well, it says in, sorry, my hair keeps falling in my face. It says in Hebrews um, 4, chapter 15, it says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faces all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So here's Jesus, he faced all the same temptations and testings that we do, but he did not sin. So he obviously knows how to handle negative emotions pretty well. So for an example of this, we can look at Mark chapter 14. And the passage is from verses 32 to 36. And just to give you some context, this is the night before Jesus is gonna be crucified. So it's the night before, he knows he's gonna be crucified, it's gonna be painful, it's gonna be horrible, he's gonna be tortured. And this is before he goes on the cross. So it says in the first couple of verses, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Here Jesus is showing us how he's fully human and his emotions are normal. He knows it's the night before his crucifixion, and like any of us would feel, these heavy emotions, emotions of trouble and distress. He's not sitting there feeling so happy that he's gonna be killed tomorrow because it's for the good of all mankind. Like he's sitting there distressed. And so while he's feeling these emotions overwhelming him, he cries out to our Father in heaven in prayer. And the next couple of verses are so powerful. 35 through 36. He went on a little farther and he fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. So here's Jesus. He wanted these emotions to be taken away from him. But even more than that, he wanted God's will for his life. He did not allow these emotions to control his actions. He's Jesus. He didn't have to be crucified the next day. Wouldn't you feeling crummy go, okay, I feel crummy. I feel crummy, crummy, crummy. I want to do whatever I can to not feel this way. Even that means getting out of the situation. But here's Jesus. He did not change what he was supposed to do and what he knew God's plan was for his life. He felt these emotions, but these emotions didn't control him and they didn't dictate for him, the direction of his life. His obedience superseded how he felt. Here's the key, you guys. Our goal is not to be free from our emotions. Our goal is to be free from the control of our emotions. Our goal is not to be free from our emotions. It's not to have our emotions just taken away from us or to get out of those situations that make us feel a certain way. Our goal is to be free from the control of these emotions. Our emotions do not define us. They are not who we are created to be, and we should not substitute them for what is actual truth. And I think that's what happens, is that so many people today use their emotions as lenses to determine what is real and what is not. And what happens with this is when you use your emotions to determine what's real and what's not, this leads to this feeling that life's out of control because we're just tossed from wave to wave from emotion. Our emotions are just telling us where to go. And how many of you have people in your life, because I know none of you feel this way, it's always easy to be like, well, I know someone, that you can recognize as being totally emotional, emotionally volatile. These are the people that are like, you never know who you're gonna get. If they're in a bad mood or a good mood, they're like consistently inconsistent in, in their behavior because it all depends on how they're feeling. It all depends on the circumstances around them. I feel like I know a lot of people that are like this. I was thinking about this too, and I was thinking how like, Eric and I have this saying that I think is a common saying, and maybe we shouldn't be saying it anymore because 
it's not true, but it's kind of funny, and it has been true. You know, it's saying, uh, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. It's true. It's kind of like, I think a lot of us might have grown up that like, you're like, how is mom today? Is mom happy today or not happy today? Because that totally is gonna determine like the whole atmosphere in the house. And you know, we know people that are just like, might be kind of moody or inconsistent and it totally changes. That's like how their whole life is run, is how they feel. And the tragic thing is that that's what the enemy wants us to do. He loves that. In Ephesians 4.14, it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And I love the imagery of being tossed from wave to wave because I know for myself, there have been huge chunks of my life where that's exactly how I lived, tossed from wave to wave. If I wake up feeling good, it's a good day. If I wake up feeling bummed out, it's a bad day. And it just kind of totally determines in how I feel. And sometimes I don't even know why I feel the way I feel, just the way I feel. And I just go back and forth. Have you ever talked to someone that seems really bummed out? And you're like, why are you bummed out? I don't know why I'm bummed out. I'm just in bummed out. And then they just let that dictate the whole day or longer. That's the tragedy or even longer. And what happens is that it's very unsettling and it leads to unhappiness because that's not how we were created to live. So whenever we live in a way that doesn't line up with God's identity for us, it ultimately does lead to unhappiness. And when we allow ourselves to be tossed from wave to wave of emotion, we are allowing ourselves to be victims of our emotions. They rule us. And the tragedy with this plaguing so many people is I think that so few are even aware that they're living that way. And I think so few are aware that there's even another way to live. And I think a lot of us have been born into seeing our parents live that way, or other people close to us live that way, and that just seems that's the way it goes. You feel sad, your day is terrible. You feel good, your day is terrible, or is great. You feel good, your day is terrible. That would be even bigger bummer. Um, and so I'm like a total nerd, I'll just admit it. Um, that's also part of my identity. I'm really into academics, and so I wanted to see, I know that so many people in our society live in depression or live in these places where emotions are pulling them everywhere here and there. And I wanted to see how like psychiatry, the science of psychiatry views our emotions and the way we should be living our lives. And what they call it is they call the way we view our emotions as our emotional intelligence. So we all have um, spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, mental intelligence, different types of intelligence. And they actually do have in science something called emotional intelligence. And it breaks our emotional life into four quadrants. And I think we have that. So in the upper left quadrant, and this is honestly, you guys, this is really powerful. So if you have any piece of paper and pen, like I want you just to kind of make a note of this and think about this for later on when you can look at your own life and you have some time to think about it. Because this is how you can judge where your emotional intelligence is at. So the upper left quadrant is, is understanding what you feel and why. So this is the quadrant of somebody that goes, I feel sad right now, and this is why I feel sad, and you can pinpoint it. It's being really in touch with how you're feeling, because a lot of people don't understand why they feel the way they do. They feel sad or depressed or angry, but they don't even know why they feel angry. So this is one of the areas of emotional intelligence, is understanding your own feelings. If you feel angry or you feel frustrated, do you know why you feel frustrated? and just really being clear with that. Moving over to the next one next to it is then the ability to control that feeling. So this, here's an example. You're driving, you have major road rage. And you know what, so you know why you're angry, because that stupid car in front of you can't go any faster and there's nowhere else to go, they've blocked the whole lane. So yes, I'm very smart in my upper left quadrant, okay? I'm angry, that's why. I have road rage because of all the idiots on the road. So then we get to the next quadrant. So I'm so angry that I forget to put on my seatbelt and I get pulled over by a cop. Cop pulls me over. I have a choice. 
I'm pissed at this point. I can either give the cop the bird and go, this is not my problem because this person in front of me didn't know how to drive and why aren't you after them instead of me because they don't even know what they're doing on the road. I don't even know why they have a license. Or you sit there and go, officer, and you're like inside, you're seething, but you're just like, okay, I just gotta handle this. Oh, I'm so sorry, officer, here's all my paperwork. I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. Maybe ah, cry, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And basically the ability to control how you feel, which reminds me of the last time I got pulled over. <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell that story. I had like, oh my, last time I got pulled over, I freaked out this cop because I lost it. <laughs> he, Oh my, he was like, ma'am, you need to calm down. <laughs> he was, I got pulled over for, oh, here's so embarrassing. I wasn't gonna tell the story. So here I am driving in my business truck. So here I'm, a prof I'm in my profession at this time. I'm in my business truck. And of course I'm speeding. I get pulled over and I was having a bad day. And I was feeling crummy and I probably could have told you all the reasons why. So anyways, he comes over and he goes, ma'am, you were, so, oh, I didn't know I was speeding. And he's like, do you know how fast, what, what was the speed limit? I was like, I don't know. I immediately start crying. I'm like, 45? No, I said 40. And he goes, well, actually it's 45. And I was like, okay. So I'm already guessing lower than the actual speed limit. I'm like, it's 45. And he's like, he's like, okay. And he tells me however fast I was going. And so he takes all my paperwork and then he, and I just, he, as he's back at the car, like doing whatever he's doing, I just start crying. I am just, I'm working it up big time. And I'm crying. And he comes back to the window and I'm now in the, <laughs> doing this thing. And he hands it to me and he goes, I'm just gonna give you a warning. I can't even talk. I'm sobbing so hard. He's like, ma'am, it's just a warning. You're in the system. You have a ticket. It's just a warning. I'm sobbing. And he's like, are you a veterinarian? And I'm like, yes. And I'm like sobbing. And he starts getting more alarmed. He's like, ma'am, you need to calm down. And then he's like, ma'am, the paper doesn't even mean anything. Just tear it up. Just tear it up. And he starts telling me just to tear up the warning right in front of him. Because he's like totally freaked out at how hard I'm crying. He's like, just tear it up. It doesn't even mean anything. It's really nothing. And here he is. He's supposed to be like giving me this warning, like scaring me. Instead, he's like, really? It's just like this fake thing we do to make people feel all freaked out. And so anyways, that was the last time I was told. I just, I'm totally detracting. I don't know where I am. Okay. So ability to control your feelings. So that's, you know what you feel and why. The cop pulls you over and you can control if you're gonna like lash out and rage at the cop or you're gonna stay calm. And I won't even tell the story now about when Eric Waterbury and I had this secret Ikea and we saw someone did not know how to control their feelings next to us. <laughs> but I don't have time for that story. I'll tell you later. So then the lower left quadrant is your ability to understand how others feel. So this is the opposite of the narcissist. This is the person that can look at another person and go, wow, they must be feeling X, Y, Z. They must be feeling, it's someone that understands how to empathize, how to see how they feel. And then the fourth is the most important and that's the ability to balance that. And most people, are actually really more in one extreme or the other. So some, there's some people that are really in tune with their own feelings and understanding why they feel the way they do. And then other people tend to lean heavier towards pretty much, pretty much neglecting themselves and their own feelings and even trying to understand them, but pushing it onto other people and just how other, other people feel. And, and neither, neither is actually better or worse than the other. right from the Bible, but it kind of is at the same time. And so I just want to encourage you guys to like kind of look at that and think about that for yourself because there's something really powerful about being able to assess these quadrants for your own life and look at your own life honestly. And the power in it is getting clarity 
and being able to recognize things for what they really are. I really believe that only with clarity do we get victory in our life. And Jesus calls us to live from a place of victory, but he's not gonna force us to a place of clarity. That's kind of our job. And so taking responsibility over our emotions has to be a conscious, deliberate decision that we make for ourselves. Nobody else can do it for us. And it's not easy, but we have to see our emotions for what they really are, and they're not the truth. Do you guys get that? That we need to look at this, look at our own lives to get clarity, because only with clarity can we have victory. Jesus calls us to live from victory, but he doesn't force us into clarity. The clarity part is our job to taking responsibility. So I wanna give you guys an example of the difference between basing our lives on truth rather than the way we feel. Last week, Eric brought it with an awesome message. And one of his points in his message was talking about our salvation and how it cannot be taken away from us. And this was really radical to a lot of us. And why was it so radical? It was so radical to so many of us because we actually are basing our salvation on the way we feel. And feelings and emotions are not the cause of our faith, but they should just be the outward expression of our faith. So something, feelings and emotions should be something that comes from what we already have rooted inside of us. So here's the difference. See which one you can relate to the most. Here's the truth on salvation. I know that my sins are forgiven because the Bible says that Jesus Christ took upon himself my sins and suffered the just penalty for those sins. My sins are forgiven because the blood of Christ has been shed. My faith rests upon the objective truth taught in the word of God. As a result of believing and confessing that my sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit removes my guilt and cleanses my conscience. Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, that God has poured his love into my heart through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my feelings and emotions are the result of a faith that clings to the objective facts of the word of God. That's truth. Here's a lie. I know that my sins are forgiven because my formerly guilt-ridden conscience is now clear. I am basing my assurance of forgiveness upon my experience. If our enemy succeeds in stirring up those old feelings of guilt and condemnation, my assurance of the forgiveness for my sins is gone. What a tentative way to live. And I think that's what was so radical about what Eric was talking about last night, about how our salvation can't be taken away from us. Because I think so many of us have believed this lie that the Holy Spirit came, he washed us clean, we don't feel guilty anymore, and now I know I'm saved. And then as soon as I do something wrong, or as soon as I feel like my life's going on the wrong path, and I start feeling that guilt and condemnation like I'm not a good person anymore, I then start being kind of uncomfortable the fact that maybe I'm not really saved, maybe I'm not really going to heaven. And that's such a lie. That's basing our salvation on the way we feel. And so it's such a huge difference between living from our emotions versus uh, living from the truth. Um, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, who Martin Luther King was named after, was this German theologian, and he lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s, and he was the theologian that actually initiated the Protestant Reformation. I know you guys are enthralled by that. And, but his, and his big thing was that um, he kind of challenged the Catholic Church and telling them that salvation isn't earned by doing good deeds, because I guess back then in the Catholic Church, people could actually pay for their sins to be forgiven, but it actually is a free gift of God's grace um, through faith in Jesus. But anyways, Martin Luther had this awesome quote. He said, we must not judge by what we feel or by what we see before us. The word must be followed, and we must firmly hold that these truths are to be believed, not experienced. For to believe is not to experience. Not indeed that what we believe is never to be experienced, but that faith is to precede experience. And the word must be believed even when we feel and experience what differs entirely from the word. You catch that? Believing the word despite what we feel because faith precedes experience. So here's the deal, you guys. We have an enemy. That's true. 
And we have an enemy that wants us to base our truth, define ourselves on our emotions because doing so keeps us from experiencing true freedom. And what happens is we fall into this trap where we, have, we feel like we have no control over the way we feel. That's how he wants us to feel. That's the lie. He wants us to feel powerless. But we have to remember, just because an emotion feels powerful doesn't mean that the emotion is all powerful. So we can experience powerful emotions, but they aren't all powerful. And we are never meant to feel powerless to them because that's the way we have to recognize that's what the enemy wants us to feel like. We also can't base our lives on experience and the way we feel because doing so will always pull us between these spiritual highs and lows. How many of you guys have ever been to like a Christian camp or a Christian conference or a Christian retreat and you go and you feel awesome. You feel high on Jesus when you leave. You're like, my love is changed. And you feel so good. I went, my parents shipped me off to every Christian camp just because then I wouldn't have to be at home. So I went to a lot of Christian camps growing up. I went to all kinds of camps. And um, I, it's so funny because Eric always used to get like, he said, oh, I would go to camp and get homesick. I was like, I never got homesick at camp. I lived at camp. But anyways, um, and you go and you feel so hot, awesome. And then you find that you get home and after a while, like those feelings start to fade. And then pretty soon life is kind of back to the way life always was. And it was a good memory, but life's still kind of the same. And that's the danger of living our lives based on experience. And that's something I just want to address that we really don't want to do here at Epic Life. We don't want Epic Life to be your Thursday night high and the rest of the week kind of sucks. That's not the point of why we're getting together. We're not getting together to have this like super feel good experience and we all leave feeling really good because all that means is the rest of your week is crummy in comparison. We want this to be a place where we are getting that truth more firmly seated within us and it's a foundation for our lives that overflows into every single day. Like my prayer is that your Monday starting work feels just as good as coming here on Thursday. And it is an awesome feeling to get together with a community and to learn and to worship God, but it is not the way we should base our lives on the experience of feeling super high because what happens when you love getting high? You always need your next fix, right? Hello, if you've ever been high, you know, you're like, can't wait till you're fixed again. And it, it's like chemical highs, spiritual highs, it's all the same thing. Let me tell you, when I've had surgery, I had a morphine drip and they had a button, you know, and you push the button and you get your next morphine. I just pushed it all the time because I knew eventually it would give it to me again. They do block it, but you know, and they told me, they told me when I go into labor for the epidural, they'll give me a drip also. And they're like, yeah, you can push it no more than once every 10 minutes and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm just going to keep pushing that thing because I don't want it to run out, you know, and not feel it anymore. So when you live with these, for these fixes, that's a really empty way to live too. So that's kind of just want to say with Epic Life, we don't want this to be just your spiritual high for the week. We want to go a lot deeper than that. So now we know I've drilled into your lives, drilled into your heads, that we need to base our lives out of objective truth, regardless of how we feel. Yet, the reality is we're human. We're still going to feel negative emotions. Jesus felt negative emotions. So then I'm thinking, well, how do I even handle those negative emotions? Because I'm going to I'm gonna feel them, I'm not a drone, and things happen in life that are major bummers. And so these are kind of some of the things I came up with how to handle negative emotions. The first one is to check your perspective. I think one way of looking at negative emotions is to look at them, view them as kind of chinks in the armor, as warning signals that there's something not quite right in that area of your life. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was on the phone with a family member of mine, and this family member, we were kind of talking about something really generic. This family member started making these kind of like general comments about somebody else, but it was kind of like really obvious to me. There was a really manipulative way of kind of throwing some judgment on some of the things that Eric and I have decided to do. And I started kind of realizing, I'm on the phone, that I'm kind of getting these personal barbs kind of being thrown at me. But I didn't really want to say anything because I'm trying really hard to not be a reactive person. And I kind of was like, I'm not going to feed into this. I'm not going to like, you know, tell her that, you know, she needs to stop it because I'm going to be cool. Like she can't affect me. And so I kind of didn't really say anything. And I just had these barbs 
thrown at me. And after the conversation ended, I have to be honest, I really felt crummy. And it kind of started to ruin the rest of my day because I kept thinking about how bummed I was about this family member saying these negative things. I don't know if you guys have had that, you know, these conversations that just, they bum you out and you feel really negative. And so I'm feeling bummed out about it. But here's the choice I made. I realized that instead of allowing myself to be bogged down by these emotions, and instead of allowing my day to get ruined by these emotions, I would allow these emotions to reveal to me an area of my life where I wasn't whole or completely healed, and where I was actually allowing myself to feel shame. I really think that the root of a lot of toxic emotions that we feel is shame. And what ultimately I was feeling was shame and condemnation, and it was being masked by these feelings of being mad at this other person. So I was feeling kind of mad and frustrated, but ultimately what I was feeling, why was, why was what she was saying making me mad? It's because I was actually deep down feeling kind of ashamed and kind of agreeing with some of the lies that she was throwing at me. And you have to understand, the enemy has been using the same trick since the fall of man. And he ultimately wants all of us to feel shame and condemnation for our actions and for what we do. Because then we keep ourselves in this cycle and he doesn't care what it's, what it's masqueraded to be. If we can feel shame and condemnation, even if we just seem like a person that's an angry person or a depressed person or a sad person, and ultimately deep down there's something that they're feeling ashamed about, he doesn't care as long as we stay in this cycle of shame and condemnation. And he wants us to be in these old emotional patterns, something that's really familiar to us. And that is why we have to be equipped supernaturally so we can actually say no to these patterns. And that's where I think the first way of looking at your negative emotions is having the proper perspective. Secondly, I think training and discipline is just a reality to gain freedom in your life. It takes training and discipline. And once we have that stronghold broken of realizing the right perspective, of realizing what the enemy wants to do in our life, we then have the choice, we then have the choice to say that it's not who we are and the choice to not agree with the emotion. It's so powerful, you guys. When we have the right perspective, we then have the choice to go, you know what? I feel really crummy right now, but that's not who I am. And I'm actually deliberately not going to agree with the way I feel right now. And it has to be this conscious decision. And I promise you, it becomes easier and more instinctual. Because you go, what? I feel bummed out. How do I nip that in the bud? But that's where the training comes in. It takes recognizing these things quickly. And the more quickly we recognize them, the less time we have to spend dwelling in them. I personally want to get the place where when I'm bombarded by a negative emotion, I immediately recognize, for it, it, recognize it for what it is and nip it in the bud. I don't need to dwell on that emotion. I don't need to let it overcome me for hours or days. I don't want to live that way. And I feel like when I do, all I do is give power to the enemy and make myself powerless. And I know that is not the way I want to live. A good example of this from the Bible is Job in the Old Testament. Let's just say Job's a whole book in the Bible. But Job basically had a lot of really horrible, crappy things happen to him. Basically, we would all feel really bummed out <laughs> if we were Job. I mean, he lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his property. He lost everything. But even Job, losing everything in his life, even he recognized that he still had a choice with the way he felt. And he says in Job 9, 27, I'll forget my complaint. I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. Here's Job. Everything horrible and crappy is happening to him and he still recognizes that he has the freedom to choose his emotions. So some of the ways I think we can go into training and discipline for the, with these emotions, the first I think is, is definitely worship. Because when we worship God, when we give our whole hearts to him, when we focus on him, when we enter that heavenly realm, there's no, there isn't any room for warfare or inferiority. Um, Brian Norm, I don't have his exact quote with me, but he put on his Facebook not long ago that like, you know, sometimes, and I know we can all relate to this, sometimes there's a worship song going and it's a good song, but you're not, you don't feel into it, you know? And he basically said like, 
if you're not feeling into worship, first of all, you need to obey. God calls us to worship. So you basically need to keep worshiping. And then you need to keep worshiping until your obedience turns into the, basically your obedience supersedes your emotions of not feeling like worshiping. And out of that, you will enter that heavenly realm. And you just have to stick to it and be obedient to it. So worship. Secondly is the Bible. Definitely the Bible. Martin Luther, I know you guys already forgot who he was because I was giving you a history lesson. The German theologian, remember from the early 1500s. He actually really suffered. Here he is, the reformer of the entire Protestant faith. But he actually, in a lot of his writings, talked about how he really suffered from bouts of depression. Here he is, a really strong Christian suffering with depression again. And he, what he did was recognize that the word of God was really for him the most powerful tool in adjusting his feelings and emotions. And so when he started feeling that depression, instead of sinking into it, he immediately tried to nip it in the bud and he dove into the word. And he just stayed in the word until God broke that off of him. Thirdly, motivation. Be motivated, be motivated by the promise of joy. Recognize God's in a good mood all the time. He has good plans for us. We need to look ahead to those good plans. We need to agree with those plans. And then it's totally okay to allow those good plans to motivate us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, even on the cross, here he is the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, just crushed by grief in his soul for what he was gonna go through the next day. He has his obedience supersede his emotions. He goes to the cross. And it even says that he was motivated himself by a promise of joy. He knew that joy was coming and that motivated him. Hebrews 12, two says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus was motivated by joy and we can completely be motivated by joy ourselves. We know that God has good plans for us and that should be enough to get us trained in discipline. I don't need to feel this way. It doesn't rule me. And I am motivated by the promise of joy to get out of this. Heaven's a joyful place. And as God's people, he even asks us and tells us in the Bible that our job is to usher heaven onto earth, to bring joy here. Lastly, so we're dealing with negative emotions. We have our perspective, the right perspective, training and discipline. And then thirdly, embracing freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's why he set us free. And we, we are fools to submit to the yoke of slavery, any type of slavery. And that includes the slavery of our emotions. When you let your emotions rule your life, you are allowing yourself to live like a slave. And the reality is, it is easier to succumb to our emotions and be tossed around by them. I know if I'm having a bad day, it probably is easier just to sit in the bathtub and drink a bottle of wine than to actually get over it. But you know what? That's not living life from freedom. I haven't been able to drink for a long time, so I just, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but, it's easier to succumb to our emotions. I mean, how many of you have had days where you like don't get out of bed or don't want to get out of bed? Um, I know in college there would be days that I would like skip class the entire day and like watch TV or something. But um, it's so, anyways, it's easier to do that and be tossed and be tossed around than to do the hard work of living intentionally in accordance with the truth that ultimately sets us free. But here's the deal, you guys: it's so worth it. And once you start tasting freedom on a regular basis, that's what gets addicting. And once you start living out of freedom, you start going, there's no other way to live. And so you have to have that in mind. And just the more you go forward and the more you experience that freedom, the less you're gonna be willing to settle for living that emotionally, emotional life being tossed from wave to wave. So I just wanna finish, um, just give you guys an encouraging Psalm, Psalm 30, 11. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. So I just hope that encourages you guys. I hope that you can take some time to go home and maybe even look at that nerdy chart I gave you and just kind of think about with your own life, like where is your emotional intelligence? 
Where are you with your emotions? How are you living day-to-day life? If you wake up in a bad mood, does that make the rest of your day really bad? And what can you do to kind of get out of it? And also free yourself from the condemnation of feeling bad feelings. Like I said earlier, Jesus felt negative emotions too, and he was perfect. So it's freeing yourself from not feeling shame and condemnation for feeling angry or feeling sad or feeling frustrated, but then recognizing what you need to do to not live and be dictated by those emotions. So yeah, I just wanna encourage you guys with that tonight. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we're gonna have the band come up and uh, we're gonna sing just a, one song, maybe a little long song there, but uh, what you're gonna do is just go into ministry time while we all stand, and, and we have a few leaders that have little name tags on like this, and they're just gonna be on the, the side perimeter here. And uh, these are just not ordinary people. These are people who hear the word of the Lord in their own life. They can speak into your life with hope and with promise. And uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, coming up for prayer on something like this. If God just spoke to you and says, man, I don't, I'm not sure I'm in control of my emotions. I'm not sure I'm totally uh, in the driver's seat of my life is how I respond to life. Let us come pray with you and, and we are just amazing people. And, and here's how awesome God is. It's 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so when we come and we say, God, I need you to give me victory in this. It doesn't matter. It could be your emotions. It could be anything. But when we say, God, I need victory in this, I pray for the blood of Jesus over this. We come into agreement. It's so amazing what God can do through some of our times in prayer together. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, as we just enter into our, our worship time here, God, we just pray that you just would minister to us as only you can. Lord, we just surrender to you the, the broken hearts. God, in, in our generation, in our community. God, we, we understand that we live amongst, uh, God, just the brokenhearted of our life. God, we just, just break loneliness, God, from this place, from hearts and lives of our, our culture, Lord, that would tell us that security and joy and happiness and all these other things, Lord, it cannot be found anywhere else but at the foot of the cross. Jesus, we just pray that you'd be glorified, that you would take us into deeper depths of freedom. Lord, as Camille said, there's nothing greater than tasting freedom because we want it more and more and more. So, Lord, I pray that there be freedom in this place. God, boldness to approach even our, our times in prayer together that we would approach you and say, God, I need your intervention here in this place. So we submit it to you, Jesus. We love how you're faithful to us to answer and to move in us. We worship you now. <laughs>